Okay. Well, welcome back, everybody, to episode three of the Greater Community. Again, our, our purpose for having these conversations is for you to get a broader perspective of what God is doing locally and really even around the world. And today, my guest is Winston Frazier. Winston serves the ministry called Kick. And so, Winston, why don't you introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about Kick Ministries, man. Our name is Winston Frazier. I am the program director for Kick Ministries. Kick Ministries, Kick stands for Kansas City Inner City Kids. So our ministry is based upon serving inner city kids um, in KCMO and KCK between the ages of 14 and 21. Um, we utilize basketball, Bible studies, and academic enrichment to a degree in order to create relationships with our boys and um, our basis to intentionally disciple them as much as possible. So we meet up with the guys at least four, maybe five times a week um, throughout. We got about 20 guys in our program as of now with a couple guys off at college. So it's been good. I'm a native of Kansas City, Kansas, born and raised. Um, spent majority of my time here, graduate of University of St. Mary Leavenworth. Mm. Spent about five years in Texas and I moved back home five years ago. And this is where I've been at. So it's been a great opportunity. I've been full-time with Kick um, for the last three going on four years. So it's been a great time. So I know that, you know, even before you were serving with Kick, like this kind of program was really on your heart. What kind of, what was that calling like, or maybe what drew you to do this, this work? Um, I, I grew up in a boys and girls club and I worked for the boys and girls club for about 16 years. So a lot of that comes from just being an advocate for youth development. And I was a teen director for majority of that time. And even in my leadership roles as unit director and area director, I always had a connection with teenagers. So my heart was always with young people. Um, the thing about the reason why I left the Boys and Girls Club, because I knew I had a calling on my life, but I didn't know exactly what it is. I wanted to do something that was close to my heart, what I love to do, but something that added the, the, the piece of basically giving kids Christ. And with the Boys and Girls Club, I couldn't do all of that. So Kick is essentially giving me the opportunity to, one, be in youth development, um, more character building, and ensuring like they'll be better off in life as we walk through life with them. But also it allows us to be, allow us to help them build a relationship with Christ. Um, something that I felt like I was missing out on the whole time I was mentoring uh, for all those years. I just wasn't giving them that last piece, which should be that first piece in their life. Yeah. Um, so I've been able to do that through what we do. So it's been just the joint venture of both worlds being great. Yeah. So as someone who, you know, did youth ministry for a couple of decades before I'm doing what I'm doing now, you know, I, I have that, I get that passion for, you know, serving teenagers and sharing Christ with teenagers. For you, like, what is it about teenagers specifically, like working with an age group and even work at, we've, I know you and I have talked about, you know, post high school, even like that age group, like what is it about that age group that is so attractive to you or that draws you to them? They're just raw, man. It's just a blank slate. They have so much ambition. Um, almost to a degree that they're ignorant to the reality of things. And it, it's, it's the canvas. It's just a perfect canvas, man. You can, uh, you watch them grow. You watch the values that you instilled in them come out of them as they develop and just being part of that journey, um, just being part of that life work. And I believe that majority of development of most adults happen between 16 and 21. You know what I mean? That's where we make major decisions that leads into our 30s. 
So it's a critical time that majority of young people leave the church. So it's just been actively part of their life. Once they leave, we, we can kind of be there and walk them through life. Like I always say, you, you navigate through roles, right? You navigate from being like a father figure to an uncle to a brother. So it just allows us to kind of grow with them as they become who they are and just assisting them throughout that. And even after 21, just being a part of their journey. And that age group is just perfect because they're coming into their own. And even though they think they know who they are and we know they have no idea what life is going to throw at them, it's just great seeing them honestly make the mistakes in life and learn from it. And just being a part of that to just see them grow to better people along their journey. You know what I mean? Seeing somebody from 14 to 21 is amazing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There's so much that you said that I want to ask you about. I mean, the first thing that I grabbed onto, you were talking about, you know, kind of this trend of, of youth kind of walking away from the church and we see it, you know, in the suburban setting, but where do you see the disconnect between kind of the, the youth that you work with in the church? Like, what is it about church that just not connecting with them? Um, I think it's a misunderstanding uh, of faith. Um, I believe that they grow up. You know, I mean, when you're in children's church and preteen church, it's about doing the right thing. It's about holding true to the values, the commandments, the way of Christ. And then you get to a certain age where you just start messing up, right? You just start doing things you know you have no business doing. Yeah. You start having conversations you shouldn't have. And a lot of times you don't want to deal with the guilt or with the conversations that you need to have with people because you feel like it's just going to be judgmental because you know better. They've told you this. They told you that. So it's easier just to leave than to actually have a conversation. So I value the fact that when they're messing up or they're going through something that we can have an open conversation about. And it's to a point to where they don't really have to feel guilty about the things in their life. Like they don't have to feel bad for the conversations or the actions that they're going about. So I think the disconnect is just one leadership in the church, not allowing space for them to realize like mistakes are going to happen and being there for them when they make mistakes, even really bad ones mm-hmm. and um, just walking it out with them. And I think it's on them because they just don't feel, you know, you a teenager, young adult, you feel like the world don't understand you. You feel like you're the only person going through it. You think that nobody's ever went through this before. And we know that, okay, we've been here. We've done that. Like it ain't nothing new under the sun, but they just need to know and the space has to be created that they can grow from their mistakes, even in a church. And I feel a lot of times they don't feel like they can grow in their mistakes in the church. So you're kind of standing in the gap in a lot of ways, just like relationally sounds like with them, not only just in their personal development, but almost like the connection between them and just church and like, almost like an ambassador to the church for, for them. Like, so if you're not there, so if a guy like you isn't in that role, what happens? Same thing that happened to me. You just go lost. You know, I mean, we all have our prodigal son moments. Like everybody has them. And, you know, I mean, we read it and we say, oh, well, he handled it on his own and he made his way back. And that's not the story for most people. A lot of times you don't turn back. A lot of times you stay eating pit, eating a slop. Sometimes you stay a servant. Sometimes you just stay a slave to your situation. And a lot of times you need somebody that just going to tell you like, you don't, it don't have to be this way. It don't have to be that. Like, it's okay. You messed up, but you know what you got over here. You know what you got at home. And a lot of times you just want to be in the gap because it's not enough people in the gap. Um, I think we have a lot of people in the church who have a lot of people lost, but it's the gap where we're losing young people because 
they need to know like it's okay that you're gonna mess up. Not that it's okay to sin or whatever, but yeah. they need to know that it's gonna happen. And when it happens, we gotta be there to hold their hand or encourage them through it because life has a tendency to knock you down and make you feel like you can't get up. Yeah. And if you're in a gap, making sure that even when they're down, even slop, that they have something better for them if they just if they choose to. Yeah. A lot of times, the majority of the time, they, they will choose to eventually. Um, but they just need somebody that's going to be there to encourage them throughout it. So you talk about being there. Like, what does that look like, assuming that you probably have had guys that have in your program or that you've worked with over the years that have made mistakes and have kind of are eating the slop, as you put it? Like, what does your role look like in that? Like, how do you walk alongside of them in a way that kind of encourages them out of it, I guess. Like how, what is, talk me through like an example, like what does that look, without, you don't have to give me a name or anything, but just, you know, what does that look like for you to kind of walk beside somebody in the midst of, because I, and the reason why I ask is I think a lot of times what you're describing, kind of the shortfall of the church is pretty much true across the board. I think, you know, unfortunately, even though we have a faith that is based on grace, church is not always the most gracious environment for people, right? Or people don't expect grace, unfortunately. So how, how do you communicate that to them while also kind of guiding them to some to a different place? Not to overreact. One, I mean, I think we we place expectations on kids because we see potential, right? Potential isn't real, right? Potential, everybody has potential, but not everybody knows when to hit it. Some people hit their race when they're 50. Some hit it at 18. We can't really gauge when it's going to happen. But when you're in a gap, it's just knowing that they're going to mess up. I think sometimes we forget that kids will be kids and young people will be young people. Adults will be adults. And I yeah. think we, we fall out of grace because we have an expectation on their lives that it's not realistic. I have guys that's come to everybody Bible study for three years who know that sex was wrong, but they had a kid. Yeah. Not a guy who knew that violence was wrong, but he's facing jail time. We talk yeah. about stuff you get caught. Now, you know what I mean? You have all these things, so it's not in a manner, we, we speak the truth, but we have the expectation that just because we speak it, that they're going to hold on to it and run with it. A lot of times they put it in a box and just carry it, but they don't necessarily utilize it for their life at that point in time. And it's not our job to, to make them, but we can just give them the seeds and hopefully that it grows. So a lot of times it's not overreacting to the situation that's at hand. Like it's not, and not beating them up when they already feel bad. Like a lot of times, if, if they're willing to tell you what they've done, they're telling you at a place of um, uh, vulnerability. Yeah. And you can't take advantage of that or not, or you lose sight of that vulnerability because it's your expectation and you go quick to tell them what they've done wrong and they already know. Yeah. So a lot of times when they're talking to me about a situation, first I listen, then I ask them what we're going to do about it because yeah. that's naturally the next step. Like it happened. So now what? You got a kid. Now what? You know the expectation of being a man. So you're going to be a father and you're going to be a deadbeat. All right. You're going to face jail time. What is that going to look like? How are you going to hold true? What do you need from me? Like these things just happen. And a lot of times you want to make sure that they're not, a, they got to feel like they're not alone in it and that they can tell you. And when they do tell you, be honored the fact that they're sharing it with you because they didn't have to. And I think a lot of times young people and, and teenagers and young adults, they just fade away because they just don't want to have a tough conversation. They just want to be heard. They don't yeah. really need the advice. They just need a soundboard to say it and just want you to love them through it. And I yeah. think once they get out of the age of being cute and cuddly, we kind of forget that they still need a hug. 
Yeah. Like 21 year olds still need to be loved. They need compassion. They're not grown. <laughs> so, yeah. so it's just being there and loving on them like we should, like, like we will want as adults. We still need that, those moments. And yeah. we can't lose sight that people need grace and people need love and we have to be patient and be kind, long suffering, like all those fruits bear with them. So it's really just loving them through whatever situation they put themselves in. Yeah. Yeah, man. So many things that you said just was triggering all this stuff. I, how much do you think, or maybe what role do you feel like a, their own self-image plays into how they react to that adversity or that, that, you know, dealing with messing up? Do you, you know, it seems like when I hear you talk, I mean, I think you're talking about believing in them, right? Like you're seeing, like you're, they're not defined by the stuff that they've done. There's something, there's something greater that defines them than just their mistakes, right? Yeah. So yeah, I mean, do you see a, a pretty big difference in outcomes from a, a student that doesn't really, and maybe we're just talking about hope. Maybe that's the question is like, what role do you see like real hope having in like whether or not they're going to succeed or whether or not they're going to be able to overcome some of this stuff? Yeah, I th think one thing we you are when nobody's around. I believe if you're, you're aware of what God sees in you and what you see in yourself, if those things align, you can handle most things in life. Yeah. So a lot of times when we're preaching and teaching to the boys, it's about character building. Like as a man, as a young man, as a young woman, what does God see in you? And once you know that you have some sort of purpose and identity and an expectation in your life, it allows you to understand that you, you will go through things, but it's going to be okay because of who's watching over you. Yeah. Now, if you're disconnected from that and you have no type of security and knowing what's expectation on you, what type of love you have waiting on you, what type of community you have around you, it's easy to get lost. So we, it's, it's about hope, but I think it's more like when you look in the mirror, who are you? What type of character do you have? What, what is your behavior? What, how do you see yourself? How do people see you? And I try to make sure I reflect that on them as much as possible because at the end of the day, it's between you and God. Yeah. And that that's the mirror you got to look through. Yeah. So instead of what we think of what's going on, like, yes, you messed up. But how, do, how does God evaluate that mistake? Yeah. And we all know that it's through grace. It's through mercy. It's yeah. through repentance. Yeah. And as men, as people, we don't give that to people necessarily. We give judgment. We give banishment. We give all these things before we get to that. But with God, you know, like this is he, he it's OK. Restoration is real. So yeah, a lot yeah. of times you got to know your identity and the fabric fabrication you have with God. And if you have that, life can't hit you that hard. It's still going to hit you. It's still going to happen. But you know, like what you're protected by. So we try to instill the foundation of who are you and who are you in God's eyes. Yeah. And if you can see that then you'll be okay because you, you know, you have love, you know, you're not alone. You know, you're protected. It's yeah. just that life is going to life. You know what I mean? We always say sometimes life just lifes, you know what I mean? Life be lifing. Like it just <laughs> stuff happens and it's nothing you can necessarily do. It happens to you. And sometimes you don't even do anything to just say deserve it. But what does God put on you? What does God expect of you? What has God given other people? And once you go back to the word, you know, you know, that's not, nothing is new. You know I mean, nothing is new and nothing is overwhelming. It's just, it's life, man. And I believe in, in strong character, who you are, having an identity in yourself, 
knowing the truth about yourself and most most importantly knowing the truth of what god sees in you and then that's that's the first step so i know that kick is the way you're leading kick right now is really centered around basketball and i know for myself playing sports growing up like a lot of my character development how that was kind of the laboratory to develop my character was through sports and through competition and through working on a, a team yet yeah, what do you see like what is it about basketball that makes it kind of a great environment to develop some of these character traits you're talking about and be a great kind of vehicle to to yeah kind of flesh these things out with these guys yeah i, I think it comes from the fact of this is it's the way i learn things right I think that first off, it, it teaches you about a brotherhood, because um, yeah. a lot of times it's not, it's, or just in relationships, right? That sometimes a lot of kids don't know how to evaluate on court, off the court, right? A lot of things that happen on the court don't don't affect you off the court. You can have an argument on the court when you step off the court, it's okay. Like it's competition. It's just yeah. it's a heat of the moment. So it, it's it's conflict resolution in that regard. Yeah. All right, if it happened here, this is where it happens. It's just competition. But after you shake each other's hands y'all back in relationship that's yeah. going to happen in a work relationship that's going to happen in real relationships that you're going to have conflict and how do you get through it you can't fight them you can't just go at it but you know what i mean you argue talk but at the end of the day you got to be able to resolve it to some degree and just agree to keep the peace um obstacles you know what i mean just just um that just playing the game losing learning to lose because you'll lose more than you'll win in life and they have to realize that like i, I honestly believe that and when I coach, I want to lose the first game. I just do. I don't want to go undefeated. I, I don't want to coach. I'm not going to coach you. I'm going to let you lose because I need you to feel it so that you will know what it feels like so you can work from that spot. Because mm -hmm. if you're working from the top, when you finally lose, a lot of times you don't even know how to react to it because it's like, I've never been here before. But if you've been in a place where you have loss in your life and you just build yourself from it, it's easier because the majority of us in life, we know we have losses. And a lot of times that was one loss that can keep you for years. So trying to teach them like how to bounce back through a bad blowout, through a one point loss, through a bad game, like you will have setbacks, but it doesn't mean you have to stay there. Um, also just maintaining rules. You got, you got to be held accountable. There's rules and regulations in a basketball game. You can't just pick up the ball and run with it. You can't just tackle somebody. You can't do certain things in life. So you have to learn how to play by the rules and understand that the rules change, right? Referees are by perspective. That's our reality in the time we're in now. Like all rules aren't the same for all people. So you gotta understand if you go to a different area and the refs are in that area, they're from there, that team is from there. You gotta expect the calls aren't gonna go your way. Yeah. You can say it's not fair, you can get mad, you can do all of that, but you gotta walk into it though, like I'm playing a different type of game today. And yeah. that's life. A lot of times you're in an arena and as a black man, I know this, you walk into certain arenas and I'm the only person in the room it's a different type of game that you're playing. You can't play by the same rules you played on the playground that you play in an actual um, high school game. It's just different. It's different systems. It's all that. Coaching, being able to be under somebody, being able to follow somebody, to follow the advice of someone else, to learn through somebody else, or even to learn how to be a leader, to lead your teammates. Like it's all these different dynamics that we apply to our life that a lot of people say sports aren't important, but it's like for a lot of inner city young men, sports is their go-to. Like they don't have much to run to. So we use that source as opportunity to teach. And it works because over a period of time, you'll see the things happen in their lives. You see how they handle it. And you can pinpoint it to a situation, a learning experience they had. 
to where they had a bad game. You can bring that up. Do you remember this? Remember how you handled this? How did that work? Or they learned through the experience of their teammates. Like a lot of guys we have are juniors. We have guys that are in college. So they've been watching them since eighth grade when the other guys are juniors. So they can see through mistakes of somebody else. It's like, oh, I remember seeing that. I remember they did that. This is what happened. So now you can pull from it in life and on the court. So it's just a relation, relational-based game that you can apply to all aspects of your life. That if you're a coach and you apply it the right way, you'll build better men that way, build better females that way. But if you don't go with it with the approach of teaching and just playing, then they won't get anything out of it. One thing we've been able to do is use the game and use the time that we spend in the gym to actually teach. You know what I mean? We pull guys in to play ball, then we pull them into Bible study afterwards. Because I know you want to play basketball for two hours, so yeah. we're going to have a 45-minute Bible study after. It's fair. It's yeah. two for one. Like, you get what you want, and I get a little bit of what I want. So it, it's transactional based, and they learned that also, that you got to give a little to get a lot, right? I'm not asking you for equal time. I'm not saying you have to sit in a room for two hours and you play for two hours. I'm saying you get to play for two hours, you sit in a room for 45 minutes max. That's a fair trade. You can't argue with that. And that's what we've used to kind of just slowly reel them in. And it's, show, it's shown to work over the last three years. So talk to me about the difference between, I can imagine like the first night a guy would show up and when you'd say, all right, we're going to go do a Bible study. And they're kind of like, uh, and they might know it's coming, but to be like, man, can we just keep playing? Yeah. Talk, talk about the difference between like night one and year two. Like after they're like, how do you see them approaching that Bible study from the beginning to once they kind of get used to it? How do you see that kind of change? Um, it's just mature. It's maturation, man. Yeah, I mean, I think even as adults, we realize that some people, you can't listen to a, a sermon unless it's your favorite pastor. But then you grow to a point that you can listen to several people. You know what I mean? It's just maturation. So with them, it's like pulling teeth. And you got to know that nobody really wants to sit through anything. They're kids. They're 16, 17, but they're still kids. Like, they're used to moving around. So to put them in an intimate setting, and also we deal with young men that aren't used to being in intimate settings with other men. So yeah. we're sitting having intimate conversations about you like it's not a bible study where we just talk about everything in the world we're, we're talking about character building things in you how do you relate to this story so it's uncomfortable because a lot of them don't reflect unless they're there so if you're talking about 45 minutes a week versus every other second of your life that you don't even really reflect eternally about things yeah. it's going to be difficult but what happens is the expectation is on us like this is what we do so eventually, you know, like it's a give and take, like you can come, but you have to come to this and you don't have to come. And that's the first thing I tell them, like, all right, you don't have to come, but you can't come play ball. So yeah. eventually they understand the two. And we also do things. We play games. We have video game systems up. They get yeah. to play 2K, Madden. So it's just not like you sit in a room and it's cold and it's quiet. No, we have real conversations. We laugh, we joke. I try to make sure that when we have this study, it's a conversational piece. I don't believe in sitting in front of you and talking to you for 20, 25 minutes. Yeah. I'm going to talk to you for maybe five. Then I'm going to and just control the conversation from there. I'm yeah. going to see. I want to see. And usually what happens is one, one guy will pull everybody else in because he'll get to a place that nobody else yeah. wanted to go, but he went there. And once he gets to that hole, it just pulls everybody in. Then once they get a feel of that, initially, majority of the time, they get over it. Because yeah, they know, 
place. You know what yeah. I mean? They knew about it at that point. Yeah, I was gonna ask you about, like you're, this is your discipleship culture, right? You're creating a discipleship culture within, and what role, what role do you see, you talk about like one guy, what role do some of those upperclassmen play in helping you create or establish or, you know, uphold that culture that you're, you're trying to create? Like, as I realized like probably year one of kick looks probably different than year three of kick. Cause year one, you're just kind of, they're getting to know you and you're establishing things. And now you've had some kids that have graduated and stuff. So yeah. What role do those older kids play in this thing? Oh, they keep the expectation, right? That they come in, they do, they do what we need to do, right? So that's the first thing. You have them saying, like, oh, we're playing ball. All right, it's time for Bible study. So they just walk in. Yeah, you know, everybody else younger might stroll in, try not to, but they establish. But one thing they also allow is the conversation. Since they're used to it and they're comfortable having a conversation, they'll say things that somebody else might be thinking, but don't have the courage to say because they're new or they're young or they just don't want to. So that's what's good to having leaders is they're comfortable having a conversation. So they'll talk about things that other people are thinking about and they'll start the conversation or guide the conversation or to a degree, they'll have the conversation with that guy. Like it's not even me at that point talking anymore, it's them. And that's the beauty of watching them mature because we have guys that are 20, been in the program for four years. So when they're in a room with other 16 year olds, their conversation, they're guiding a conversation now because they're closer to them than I am because they were just there. Like they were just in that seat. So they know like, hey, nah, nah, y'all need to stop that. That's not even what we're trying to do or that that doesn't make sense. This is what we're saying. And they have a better communication with them because they look at me as the old dude who's just talking. Like, of course he's going to say that. Of course that's, but with the guys, it's like, nah, this is what it is. This is the truth. This is the way you should go about it. So even if they still are uncomfortable about it, they're seeing their peer having a conversation and they're slowly being that they're gravitating towards it. And it, it happens over a course of time to where they all get comfortable enough to have it. And <clears throat> the beauty of what we've done is it's really a recycling. Like we're at a point that we're starting over from what we was three years ago, because a lot of the guys, they was in eighth grade, they're juniors and our juniors are in college. So now it's like, I'm reflecting on how did we operate here? How did we get them there? And it's the same thing. It's just a slow discipling process. You know, we would like to think that it happens overnight, that it that they're excited, that they're ready to go, and that everything we're planting in them is going to come to fruition. They're going to be great kids. But the reality is there are people, and we're going to plant seeds that's probably going to take a generation to pop up at times. Yeah. yeah. So it's just those older guys allow us the opportunity to see the progress of what we're doing works. And also allows the guys to connect between me and them. They actually have a source to go to in between and be like, I might, I don't, I don't want to say this in front of coach, but I can say this to him. Yeah. And that allows freedom for me because the guy, the older guy come to me later and be like, man, he just, you know what I mean? But that stays in between me and him. But yeah. now we have a gateway back and forth. So I know how I need to teach and what I need to talk about. Cause now they're having a conversation with these guys. Now I'm having a conversation with them. Yeah. Yeah. And, and as you're talking, I mean, I, again, as somebody who's done youth ministry for a long time, there is such a power to like the one guy that will go first, right. That will start sharing that kind of makes it okay for other people to uh, maybe not in that moment, but down the road, share about, share about stuff going on. And I, 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 I find, I've always found it really interesting 
and I, mean, I guess I should know this too, just being a guy myself, but you know, it does seem like it, it takes a lot more for a, for a guy to be willing to share what's going on versus uh, one of our teenage girls. And so what is it about, do you think, was it about guys in the, kind of the urban culture that makes it more difficult for them to share about what's really going on, maybe be vulnerable? Um, or, you know, what is it, what is it about? Yeah. What is it about that culture that just this, they're not reflect, you talk about them not being reflective. What do you think, why do you think that is? Why do you think that guys are not typically asking these big questions or thinking about these things that deeply, like what keeps them from, from doing that, do you think? I think it's just a mirror of the church. Mm. You know I mean, I think most churches are predominantly women. Mm. You know I mean, that's just the, that's the ratio of it. And mm. a lot of times that comes with women being okay with being vulnerable or being able, accessible to their emotions enough to talk about it. Mm. I think as men, we have an issue with just speaking on our emotions because we don't want to declare ourselves weak with yeah. being emotional or talking about this is how I feel because feelings aren't supposed to apply to a man unless you're happy, mad, and that's kind of it. Like you don't really have sorrow, despair, depression. You don't have these things, anxiety. We don't see these things in men. So as young men, if they're not sending in their uncles, their fathers, their grandfathers, like they, they naturally assume that position that you need to be strong, you need to be this. And usually strength means being quiet, right? Yeah. If I don't know, it's better for me to be quiet because then at least I'm still sitting in a position of strength. But that what we try to teach them is like, as a man, you have to tap into that. Like, and that's why we, that's why we actually have all boys because I've seen in a room, you have one girl, nine boys, the boys, they, they were completely different before the girl came, the girl came, their personalities and changed. Like they were talking, we was talking about some real stuff. Now they're joking. They're playing. They're trying to be cool. Now they're quiet. And it's just like, as men, you have to learn how, one, to be intimate within yourself, to be honest with yourself, to be able to reflect. And then it's a whole nother thing when you're around other men, because then you think you pass on judgment, that I can't say this because he's going to, like, they're going to joke about it. They're going to laugh at me. You know, that usually takes one time for you to be vulnerable. Somebody laugh, then you just stop. Like, you just, like, oh, I was just joking. I was playing. But like, no, he was serious in that moment, but we didn't receive it the right way. Yeah. So we try to create a space that, one, we're telling you to be vulnerable. We're telling you to be honest. Like we close the doors and we can talk about anything. Like it's part of the Bible, but we are men. We're young, young, young men and men. And I want to, I, any conversation you want to have, we need to have. And it can range from here to here. But yeah. we have to allow the space for them to be honest. Because as men, we're told to deal with it. We're told to be strong. We're told to be the, the support, be the backbone. of you know? But Nobody ever tells us, like, we need to deal with our stuff, that yeah. you need to talk, that you need to learn how to communicate. You have to learn how to tell people how you feel. And if you don't learn that, you grow up to be a man that's the same way. So one thing we try to tell them is, like, learn your emotions, but learn how to communicate them, but then learn how to deal with them. Like, a lot of guys, especially in inner city, or just in general, a lot of men end up in trouble because that pent-up emotion that just, then they break. They break or they 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 explode and then they make an irrational decision because nobody ever told them how to deal with their issue, with their anxiety, with their trauma, with their depression, with those things, and they grow up and don't know what to do with it. Yeah. So I think it's just a reflection of the church, the community, the people around the culture of being a man. It, it's it's identified with strength, and strength means you got it all together. And yeah. young people, you don't. 
You just don't. And the expectation to think a 17-year-old has it together is not real. And it's unfair to them to believe yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah, no, I was thinking about like my own, like how did I get to where I am? I think about my dad was a huge role model for me growing up because he did. I mean, he was a super passionate person and he would get excited and he would be excitable and he would get emotional sometimes. And I remember watching that as a teenage boy being like, he normalized that for me. Yeah. It wasn't weird now. It wasn't like, okay, it, it's strange for as a guy to be emotional. It's like, no, I just saw a role model do that. And so now that makes it okay. So we, you know, I think that's a good word just for the men who are watching this, you know, in the church. Cause I think sometimes as we get older, we want to, like you say, portray this position of strength, this position of like invulnerability, not invulnerability and nothing can touch us. And, and to me, that's where you see a lot more of like the hidden depression, even like substance abuse and stuff, because guys are feeling it they're just dealing with it in unhealthy ways right like you're talking about instead of just you know being honest about the stuff that's going on in their minds or going on in their hearts and so yeah i think about i i wonder for myself if i wouldn't have had you know some of those role models growing up where i would be would i be dealing with my emotions in unhealthy ways so that i mean that, and if you think about even just that i mean that piece of what you do how significant it is to their formation as they're learning how to be men right we, we have we just we have to mirror it and it's difficult you know what i mean it's difficult mirroring that for young men because as a man i have to be vulnerable right i have to be honest i have to show them my scars even though i'm i'm portraying the level of strength that they need but i also have to portray like honesty like my my stuff and that's difficult because as men we want men to be strong but i've learned that that strength is means nothing if they can't handle themselves right. and i try and you just have to model that and i think a lot of times because of generationally like men just weren't taught and i think now we're kind of catching up to it but for generations like grandpa didn't say much grandpa kind of grunted he said like this my grandpa's mean that was usually the 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 conversation about a man my uncle he always yelling there like so you see these things but you rarely hear like oh yeah he's a nice guy he's nice you know what I mean? You don't hear those things. And I think now we're catching up to it, but it's still, we're so far off from it because young women learn early to, yeah. to, to have conversations because people are willing to talk to them a little bit more. It's like, oh, what's wrong? But as once you're 6'4", 200 pounds, but you're still 17, everybody look at you like, they're more like, oh, no. Like he, we express our emotions different. Like, yeah. you're luckily God made me a big man. So of yeah. course I'm 6'2", 220. So a kid that's 6'4 doesn't scare me. I, I still have some sort of range on him. But the thing is, he expresses his emotions differently. He might yell at me. He might be throwing a fit because he's learned that's how he deals with it. But I know within myself, I know how to deal with that. I, I sit there and listen. I'll let you yell, cuss, do what you got to do. But after you're done, we're going to say, so what are we going to do, though? Because that doesn't throw me off. And what they've learned, when they start learning their body, that masculinity, that strength turn, they start trying to use it to get out of situations. Right. Like, I'm going to yell, I'm going to throw stuff, I'm going to be mad, so people leave me alone. And it's just like, nah, that ain't going to work. <laughs> right. <laughs> gonna I think what you're, what you're saying, you know, what strikes the core with me is, you know, you said earlier about, you know, some of the disconnect with the church is that it's, it's, it's perceived as a kind of more feminine, like the spiritual formation is mm -hmm. a little bit more feminine. The way we disciple is a little bit more 
you know, emotional, emotion-based. And I think that is the trick, right? It's, it's, it's accessing and creating an environment for guys to be able to be honest about their emotions, but to do it in a way that makes sense for guys. Cause it, you know, like you can put a group of girls in a room and give them a topic and they will pour, they might pour their hearts out. Um, and I realize I'm generalizing even saying that, but you might say, well, why didn't it work for the guys? It's like, well, there's gotta be so much more trust that's built up before you can do that. Right. Like they're not going to share that stuff with you if they don't trust you. They're yeah. not going to share that stuff in a group if they don't trust that they're going to, you know, that they're not going to get mocked as soon as, you know, the group's over that. If you share, you know, this thing that's going on in your life, something that's really heavy, and now guys are starting to crack up, like, then it's not a safe place anymore. And I realize that's unanimous across the board, but I do think there is something unique about doing this with guys is different than when you do, when you try to do this kind of thing with girls. It's just it's something unique about guys. Yeah, because I've done it with young women. And it's just, they have more of a natural tendency to talk. And not like they're talking in, in, in specifically about something. It's just like you can generally kind of get, kind of move them in a way because they're already talking. With right. men, it's like you're pulling teeth. It can yeah. be, you can say the same thing, but it's like you're waiting on at least one person to yeah. say something. Yeah. And a lot of times you just got to keep throwing things out until like you get, like, it's like fishing. Until you get one, then you get one and okay. We can we can go for here, and then when you navigate through it, it's just it's different. And it, I think the church knows that too because devotion, like Bible studies for men, I think look different for women, yeah. right? It's certain things worship to agree looks different for certain people because it's just an image thing. It, it's how we deal with it, but yeah. it all works together. And I think a lot of times people look at that and say it shouldn't be that way, but it's like God made us different, like yeah. we were built a certain type of way. And you got to be honest with yourself that He built women or men differently but it doesn't weigh any different either way. It's just like right. we're built a certain way. And you right. have to learn how to tap into what that is. And you can't generalize it that all men are the same, but by circumstance, a lot of us are common. <laughs> you know what I mean? You right. can talk about sports and usually that, like I can walk in a room and say something about basketball. I know I'm gonna get at least half the room, right? right. I can talk about music, I'm gonna get the other half. Talk about fashion. So right. I know how to, video games, talk about 2K, you know what I mean, right. whatever, and I got them. So you just got to know the tools it takes to grab men and young men. And once you find those tools, the conversation starts. It might not be as in-depth the first time because you're trying to give a lot of fluff and trying to find a way in. But you eventually will. It just takes a little bit more time because naturally we don't talk about these things. We don't have conversations of substance. Like we usually general, our whole conversations are very surface-based. Sports, yeah. music, women, fashion. You know what yeah. I mean? That's it. But when yeah. you start talking about feelings, emotions, anxiety, depression, relationships, love, like we get kind of tight. And it's yeah. just, we have to teach them that it's okay to have a conversation, but your conversation is going to sound different. You know what I mean? You got to learn how to communicate with your mother differently. And mothers got to realize to communicate with their sons differently. They're not going to respond the way you respond. They're right. not going to respond the same way your daughter responds. Right. He's a young man. He's going to respond differently, but you have to learn how he's going to learn his responses and read through that because as men, I think we get it, but a lot of times people don't get it. Right. Which when you mask it so well that it's kind of hard to identify. Right. Well, and I appreciate that you you didn't just say sports. You said because because I think that's one thing like in the church, we go like, okay, men's ministry, if I have some red meat in sports on TV or 
then we're good. We're going to get all the guys. And there aren't, it's not all the guys. You'll probably get a good chunk of guys, but yeah, there definitely are guys that you're going to have to find the other, like a music or art or something is going to be the, the other way in. But I, yeah, it is. It's just, it's just different. It's just a different animal. Um, I remember my least favorite topic to talk about with guys is sex and relationships because the girls they couldn't wait they'd be like begging me like what are we going to talk about you know relationships and i'd be like well we're going to talk about it we're going to talk about it and so we would like split up right the girls would go in one room the guys would go in the other room and we'd have those conversations and you could hear like through the wall them laughing and giggling and like getting all excited and in in the room i was in every guy's eyes were in the carpet you know he just did not want to like make eye contact did not want to talk about stuff somebody might bring up something but then i but then on a whole different event i just i was on a a retreat that wasn't a guys retreat but i was in a cabin full of guys and someone came up with a game about it was like the hot seat game where you had to say and then guys were like sharing super vulnerably but it was like it was a you had to sit there was just a different environment to just put a circle of chairs in a room and say, all right, guys, we're going to talk about our feelings. That's not going to happen. It has to be, it has to be a, a di- almost like you got to go in the side door to get to that conversation. Right. It's just different. It's just different. Um, thinking about, I know we're, man, our hour is almost, we're almost blew through our hour already. We got talking, but this is great. Um, as we're talking about kind of emotion and kind of what some of those guys are feeling, Tell me a little bit about, I know this, this has been a, t- a difficult year for African-American young men. How are the guys that you're leading processing just what they're seeing in their neighborhoods, their communities, what they're seeing on the news, what they're seeing in social media? How are they processing everything that's going on this year? I think, you know, I mean, the crazy thing about it is I think a lot of times we generalize and not saying you're doing, I think in general, we all do it, that you see a black person struggling, we all feel it. But the thing about being in the inner city, it's 95, if not 96%, like minority, right? So a lot of the brutality and things that we're seeing on the news, they aren't seeing. Like in the area we deal with, um, it's the 16 to 20, no. Yeah, I think that 16 to 23 year olds, they're committing the majority of the crime. So they're seeing more death and more crime and more violence amongst their own people. Yeah. And a lot of them can't see past that to really be affected by what's going on in around the world because it's really not even their experience. Yeah. Like when you have to worry about walking down the street, we got to worry about you can't go to a gas station, you can't go through a certain park because of these. And you're not worried about the police, you're worried about people around you. Yeah. But one thing it, it has had an effect because they generalize white with wrong at times, right? Because mm-hmm. you you have so much narrative of white police officers. So you think all cops are bad or you hear like a white man did this. So you think all white people are bad. And some of them, they get into this notion. I think naturally, just culturally, it's hard to trust white people. So it becomes a narrative of you can't trust them. This is what they do. These cops are bad. But one thing we try to teach them is like, you understand one bad person doesn't make the whole thing wrong. And you can't, you know, and like, like I try to tell them that they know good white people. Like we, we make sure that they're around different type of people so that they can never have a claim that an entire race is defined by one act or several acts, right? 
that's unfair to people because I tell them, how would you feel if if the person that you have a relationship with generalizes you because they think all black people are wrong, all black people are violent, all black people, you know what I mean? So yeah. you can't necessarily generalize because you have, you're being judged also. So it's all about relationship. Will you re, will, have you had a bad experience with a cop? Maybe. Have you had a good experience with a cop? Yeah. So you have to have the balance of that. Not every experience is going to be bad, but you have to be prepared that like bad things may happen. Like I, I make the joke all the time. I, I do get paranoid by a cop. Also get paranoid by walking down the street and walking towards somebody that looks like me sometimes. Right? Mm-hmm. Like if you walk, I and even me, I'm six two. If I wear a hoodie a hat backwards and I'm walking around and I'm walking up on somebody, I have to be prepared that they're going to walk on the other side of the street or be paranoid. Why? Because the image produces that I can, I can be some type of threat to them. So that's already there. And I try to break that within mm-hmm. myself and them that you can't see everything that doesn't look like you as a threat, right? Like mm-hmm. if we can generalize these things that happen in our neighborhood and we can accept these things. You have to realize that everything that's happening over here isn't all bad. Is it bad? Is it wrong? Does it need change? Yes. But for them, it's more or less talking them through the entirety of the scope of it, not just sticking to a point. I don't ever want them to see the world as black and white because it allows you to, it honestly sets you back because we need each other. As the kingdom, we understand that color is a bias, but we can't live in a world to where we live like that. Like, I believe that white people need black people, need Hispanic need. Like, we need everyone in order to produce the kingdom. That's what heaven is going to look like. So we can't just justify saying, like, we're going to stay with our own people because it's safer and it's better. It's not right. So for them, it's they are not really touched as much by it, but we have to educate them on it so they understand what it really is. Because, I mean, they're growing up in this. They've grown up in the age of Trayvon Martin. We didn't grow up like that. My generation grew outside of the 60s and now. So we didn't grow up with that. We grew up more violence and drugs. They're dealing with more social injustice. This is their this is their upbringing. So we're just trying to talk them through it because it's something that I necessarily didn't experience. That's something my mother and father experienced, my grandparents experienced. I never experienced huh. this, but it's something that we're walking them through because this is their life. This is what they know. This is part of their culture. They grew up hearing about police killing young people. So now young black people, old black, they, they grew up in this. So we have to make sure that their view is skewed by what the news and reporters and what other people are saying. Like we have to keep it to where it's individualized to a degree and making sure that you see the good and bad in things. And that's just life. Everything has a balance. And you can't get outside yourself to believe that just because somebody is a certain color that they're bad. Because people, you don't want people looking at you like that. Right. So it's, it's it's kind of bridging the gap between the two. Well, and it seems like it's a lot about relationships, right? Like if you don't, yeah. you know, if, if if all you know about a people group is what you see on social media, what you see on, you know, I was, I was watching, I, I think for me, the last couple of years have been really formational in paying attention to how pe- different kinds of people are portrayed. And I've especially been even more conscious about how many movies are is the person robbing the bank black or is the person you know sticking up a person black or how often is and and uh so i you know i see myself and it the, the crazy thing for me is like my best friend growing up when i was like three to five years old was black 
And so I, I kind of started off with it being very normalized, moved to a place in Northeast Iowa that was like 99% white. And so for a lot of my, you know, growing school years and stuff, um, I didn't have that experience. And then as I kind of got into high school and I got into college, kind of, but it's interesting to me, I think a lot of the misunderstandings or, or misconceptions are because that's all you, you're around. Like if you're around a community that's, you know, 90% black, that's your experience. If you are in a situation that's, you know, 90% white, that's your experience. So it's just interesting. Did you try to log back in again? Yeah, I'm, my phone, I'm about to okay. log on to my computer. I got you. I'm pause this room. I'm up again. All right, there you go. So yeah, I think this whole conversation you know, there's a book that I, I've yet to read, I bought, but we um, called The Power of Proximity. And we've been talking about that at Community, just about how do we get ourselves in proximity to hear different points of view? How do we get ourselves in proximity to just be doing life with people that are different than us? Not because we want to have like a token black friend or a token Asian friend or a token, you know, Latino friend, but just to be able to rub shoulders with people that are going to challenge our stereotypes and help us to see the kingdom of God in a, in a more full, yeah. in a more full way, you know? Yeah. No, I believe that so holy. Lucky I have a different experience that my experience is God has put me around different cultures growing after I was in the inner city for 21 years, I was for 21 to 30, I was in environments that were completely different than what I was used to. Yeah. So I learned the, the long way. And one thing we're trying to portray to the guys is like trying to teach you, I want to say, quote unquote, the right way, but you have to do, you have to be relational. And a lot of times you're not taught that in an environment, especially inner city, to be relational to people. It, majority of times you are always on edge or you always got to be protected. You always got to have your, your guard up. And one thing we try to teach them is like, you got to make yourself friendly. Yeah. Like it sucks. Like, you feel like you don't have to, but you yeah. have to. Like, especially a lot of our guys, like, when you're big and you're black, like, naturally, because you can watch a movie, most of the characters are dark. Most of the characters, you know what I mean? Certain thing, images that people have that you have to know. You can say it's unfair, but it's the world we live in. It's portrayal. So you have to know what type of situation you're getting yourself in. So when, when with the chick, three, like our guys, when we was at McDonald's, it was like, I forget, it was like maybe 100 people. In yeah. and outside of McDonald's. Yeah. They were completely distraught because they've never been in an environment that this many people congregated in a small space and there was no type of like, was like there, was no, there was nothing going on. It, people was having fun. So they were sitting on the wall kind of looking around like this because they're waiting on something bad to happen because mm -hmm. they, they don't live in an environment where they can put their guard down. So I tell them, and they was trying to figure out like, man, people just keep smiling at me and saying hi. And I'm like, yeah. That's how people work. Like people like like smile a little bit. So teaching him like you have to smile, show yourself friendly, man. Show that you're open to a conversation because we're taught to be closed off, and that that's half the battle is just being open to the fact that when you're walking around, somebody speaks to so you, speak back. Somebody look you in your face, you say something. Not in there like what you looking at, but like hey, how you doing? You know what I mean? You start a knowing how to talk to people. Some people walk up to you and just ask you stuff, and they be like, I don't even know why this dude talking to me. Talk to them back. Like, it's relationships. And we have to teach you to be relational to anybody. 
even right. and they don't they they haven't been taught that again it goes back to being a man but it also go back to culturally in your environment you're taught to only talk to people that you know which is such a detriment when you get to being an adult because yeah. you move to a place and you don't know anybody who are you going to talk to but that's that's also I think you know at leading youth groups in a suburban setting and a rural setting. I mean, you have kids that don't know how to act either, like in different environments. So I mean, I remember like we would go into the city to do something, and you know our kids would be yelling at, "Hey, what's going on?" Like, okay, guys, like we're gonna freak people out. Like we can't. So it it, it just it's part of growing up, right? Yeah, it's a part yeah. of understanding what the world how the world works, you know and. And I think, man, what an impact that the church could have in this season for leaders who are creating environments where these lessons are being taught because they're, they're not being taught. I mean, no. going back to the very first topic, we were talking about grace. You know, our world is not a gracious place in general. Right. It's you do something, here's what's going to happen to you. You know, how often does somebody do something wrong in the public eye and immediately on Twitter or whatever, they just get lit up. Yeah. And that's what we're used to. And man, what an opportunity that the church has to be able to say, you know, that's how the world works, that's but that's not how the kingdom of God works. No, no. And I think that's where we miss it. And a lot of times it's, it's the community of people, right? Like it has to be a culture. Like, I think one thing that allows us to grow in church, any organization, any business is like your culture of kindness. Yeah. Like people got to feel welcome. Some of the best churches make you feel like you're the most important person in the world when you walk in. Yeah. Like, yeah. like you don't have your defenses of you let yourself down because like you walk in and you feel good. And a lot of times we, we, we lose sight of how important that is, yeah. that people in general need to feel that in you. It's just not about going to church and feeling that. A person should feel that when they talk to you. Like as a Christian, as a believer, like when they speak to you, they should feel a sense that I can trust you, that you are a type of person that I can talk to, not somebody I should run from or I'm going to face judgment from, but somebody that can I can actually be vulnerable with, knowing I can trust you with this information. And that's something I think we all lose sight of over a course of time, but you have to be willing to tap into that thing. How And it's very uncomfortable to do so. But you got to be willing to do do that on a daily basis with everyone. Man, I could we could keep talking probably for. <laughs> for I got to have you back on again in the spring, yeah. man. Um, as we kind of wrap up, like, how do people keep up with Kick Ministries? If people want to learn more about what y'all are doing, um, how can they find you online? How can they get in touch with you? What how do, what, what do the people need to know? Um, on Facebook, you can find us at Kick Ministries. Um, on Instagram, I believe it's Kick Ministries KC. And the website is www.kickministries.org. Um, and I mean, my email. And if you usually, if you email or tag or whatever on, on Facebook, whatever, we'll get back to you. You know what I mean? Or my email is Winston at kickministries.org. If anybody have questions, concerns or information i don't know what but if you want cool. to get in touch that's it awesome yeah I'll, I'll put all that stuff in the description of the video so people can find follow up and stuff like that so hey i really appreciate you taking the time uh we'll have to continue the conversation offline at some point but uh we'll get you back <laughs> on here we'll get you back on here in the spring too for for season two of this thing so okay i appreciate it man you take care have a great day all right you too brother thanks man